Hi, and welcome back to the Anatomy of Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Khalil. I'm a personal trainer, women's health coach, occupational therapist, and owner of Fit Mama Santa Barbara. I designed this podcast to address all areas of motherhood. I aim to give you practical tips and share advice and personal stories from myself and my guests to help you through your motherhood journey. On today's podcast, we're addressing the topic of self-esteem. Now, I will tell you, this is something that I've been a little bit nervous to share with my listeners because I am not one to address my own faults. But as part of my healing journey and as part of being able to help others, I think that this is an important thing to talk about and I want to elaborate on how I've been working through this throughout my whole life. Let's talk about my ongoing struggles when it comes to loving myself. I know this sounds so cliche, okay? The pretty blonde has self-esteem issues, but I promise you it is not like that. I'm actually a fairly secure person and I've never been one to stand in the mirror and hate everything I see but I've had internal struggles my whole life, and I've never been able to really identify this or sort it out until recently. Now, I've known I've always been that person that people would probably describe as intense. I take things very seriously, I work hard, I do a lot of things at a very high level, but I never saw this as a fault. It wasn't until my own daughter started going to therapy that I realized how messed up I really was. Now, I give my daughter a ton of credit because she is eight years old and she was able to sit in front of the therapist and tell her exactly how she felt and what she was dealing with and how this was impacting her on a day-to-day basis. She sat there and told the therapist that she feels like everybody doesn't like her, that she's scared about screwing up, that she doesn't want to get in trouble and she doesn't want to make mistakes. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I mean, this all sounds pretty familiar. Are you telling me this is not normal? And the therapist, who is fantastic, by the way, very kindly explained to her that a lot of times what we interpret from the world around us isn't the reality of what is actually happening. So when she thinks that her friends don't want to play with her because they hate her, it may just be her perception of what's going on and what's happening in the world around her. And that's something I can relate to. I can feel that on a very deep level. If you don't know me, let me describe myself to you because this may sound very familiar. I'm a type A, high-achieving perfectionist who believes that anything can come from working hard and not making mistakes. But newsflash, working hard does not always equal success, because if that were true, there would be many more millionaires in the world. Even from a young age, I have always been my own biggest critic. I've been exceptionally harsh and self-loathing, and I've never really felt like I could connect with myself or with others. Often we can spend so much time fabricating the person that we think others want us to be that sometimes it can be hard to decipher who we really are and what we really care about and what's important to me. Now, don't get me wrong. These traits have fueled me in many ways and have led me to be incredibly successful in many different areas of my life. I've achieved things that I never thought I'd be able to do. I mean, even this podcast is one of them. I never thought I'd be able to have a podcast. These high expectations of myself had led me to be driven, to be consistent, to be an achiever. And when people are looking to make change in their own life, they often look at people like me and see me as motivating and inspiring. And that's something that I'm glad. I'm glad that I bring that to the world. I'm glad that I bring that to my coaching practice. 
But my issue is I've never been able to truly own this. And I've spent a lot of my life feeling incredibly uncomfortable. And like we've talked about in a past episode, I've often felt like a fraud. I don't know if you've been on TikTok lately, but there's been a lot of talk about something called lucky girl syndrome. And this is when you take the mindset that you are a lucky person and good things happen to you. And I truly do believe that there's a benefit to this. We all know that manifesting is a thing. And if you believe that everything's going to go your way, there's a good chance that they will. But for me, I've always felt like this, but not in a positive way. Everything that I have achieved in life, I would tend to chalk up to luck. Whenever something went well for me, I would always brush it off as, oh, I was in the right place at the right time. I made a good decision and everything just worked out. I've even written it off as having pretty privilege because I'm like, well, I only ended up there by chance. I didn't really belong in that room. Now, has this kept me grounded and made me a fairly down to earth person? Probably. But the problem with this is that it's always weighed on my measure of self-worth. When you feel that you've achieved everything by chance, you never really give yourself the recognition that maybe you do deserve the things that you have, and it has to do with more than just good luck. Now, my father-in-law, who's a bright and successful surgeon, will always tell you that success is all luck. Just ask any failure. Going back to the therapy session with my daughter. So I was listening to her talk to her therapist, and one of the things that really resonated with me is that she was telling her these stories about how everyone at school doesn't like her. And all these exaggerated tales of how people have been so mean and all these things that have happened to her. And I got worried about this. This is why we ended up starting therapy in the first place, because at first you want to believe your child and you want to take what they say at face value. So I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe she is being bullied at school. So I met with the teacher, I talked to the school counselor, and we went through a few of the different scenarios, and the teacher was like, yeah, that is not what happened at all. It was simply a perception of the events that did take place. So the therapist went and asked her some more follow-up questions and more about what worries her. And I realized that a lot of my worries are very much the same. The bottom line is, is that I've always worried so much about what other people think of me, but in reality, it's just a reflection of what I think of myself. Now, I feel like at 35 years old, I've gone through many different iterations of who I am. For a while, I attributed these uncomfortable feelings to simply being an introvert. Maybe I had social anxiety. New people and places stressed me out, but I put on a smile and I would fake my way through it. I spent years waitressing, bartending, personal training, all of these jobs that are really not suitable for introverts at all. In all these jobs, it was my responsibility to talk to people that I did not know. And guess what? I thrived. The idea that I could play a role and people looked to me as the authority in the situation made all my anxiety disappear. But as soon as I had to go to a party or be somewhere where I was expected to just show up as myself, it would all come creeping back in. I would go so far as to show up to a party or a bar or somewhere where I was meeting my friends and they were inside. And if they weren't answering their phone to come out and meet me, I would get in a cab and leave. And for the most part in my life, I was able to make adjustments in order to avoid these kind of situations. I went to college in my hometown. So a lot of my friends were the same friends that I had from high school. 
I never lived in a dorm, so I wasn't forced to have a new roommate or be in uncomfortable situations. And I generally got to pick and choose what I did based on how it would make me feel. And as you can imagine, this also led to a string of very poor choices in men. I chose the ones that did not want me and I chased them for years because I wanted them to acknowledge that I was worthy. And to me, giving up was failing. But looking back, I shake my head because most of it was just so not worth my time and it never would have worked out anyways. So this brought me to maybe third year of college. And at this point, I decided that I must just be having imposter syndrome because I wasn't good enough yet. And I needed to be smarter, richer, prettier, fitter, and more successful. And all of these problems would go away. And guess what? I did all those things. I threw myself into work. I was addicted to exercise. I was addicted to making money and anything that fed my feeling of worthiness. But that empty feeling still ate away at me. After I finished my master's, I decided to move to California. I had actually never been to California before. I applied for jobs online. For some reason, they hired me. Now looking back, I need to realize that it wasn't luck. It was because I did very well in school. I had great work experience. I had good work ethic and they were willing to sponsor me to come to the States. So I saw this as my chance to reinvent myself. It actually, it's really funny to me because in Canada, everyone pronounces my name as Natasha. My friends all called me Tash. And then when I moved to California, everyone started pronouncing my name as Natasha. And I, at first I would correct people and I realized that that is just how people were going to say it. So I essentially took on this new identity as Natasha. I was Natasha who moved to California and was running a rehab department. Now at 24 years old, I had my own apartment by the beach. I had a great job. I was making new friends. So I felt like maybe I was, I left that all behind. Maybe I left that in Canada and this was my chance to finally stop with the feelings of inadequacy. I took a run at being a model, which was very fun by the way. I learned a bunch of new sports. I learned how to surf. I worked on skiing. There's all these things that were outside my comfort zone that I started to push myself to do. But of course, all the same things started happening again. I was working three jobs. I was trying to impress people. I was trying to be this person that I thought I should be. And it really wasn't aligned with who I truly am. If you know anything about Los Angeles or California, it essentially is the self-help central. Everyone you meet is a life coach or reading these books or manifesting their dreams or living out their true intentions, and it goes on and on. So this started to rub off on me a little bit, but it wasn't until after my divorce that I really started to focus on changing my mindset and working on removing blocks around money and success. Now I'll tell you, this is still a work in progress. And as you know, you cannot just change your mindset overnight. Many of these blocks have come from a real deep place in my childhood and how I was raised. It wasn't until I started exploring this further, which recently I may add, I am 35 years old and finally decided to really address these issues. And I've come to the conclusion that I've been dealing with high functioning anxiety my entire life, and I never even knew it. I actually owe a lot of this to my husband because he's the one that pointed out that maybe my interpretation of the things that happen isn't entirely accurate and that I need to start taking credit for more things in my life. 
My marriage is the perfect example. There's still some days where I wonder, why the heck did my husband marry me? I must just be lucky. Because when I got divorced, I was 30 years old with a three-year-old. I had resigned myself to never getting married again. I went out after I moved out. I walked into Mattress Mike, which if you live in Santa Barbara, you know what I'm talking about. And I said to the guy, give me a queen size bed because I'm never sleeping with anyone again. And of course the guy laughed and pointed me over to a queen size bed. And he's like, here, this one's on sale. You can buy this one. And at the time, my husband was someone that I had known for a long time from the gym. We'd always worked out at the same time. We were always pleasant to each other, but I never really saw him in that light. So then one thing led to another, and I started to think that maybe it was just because we worked out at the same gym. Maybe it was just chance that we happened to get divorced at the same time. Like, why would he actually want to be with someone like me? I've even gone so far as to pick out other people that we know that I thought he would be a better fit with. These were women who were more sophisticated or classy, that had impressive pedigrees, and didn't grow up in a small town in Canada. But once again, this was just all my own insecurities talking. My husband, who's by far my biggest supporter, reminds me that he would not be married to me if I wasn't smart, educated, ambitious, opinionated, and independent. And our success is just that. It's ours, not his. Because he could not run his business as successfully as he does without having a partner who could handle the rest of things. It simply would not work if he had to take care of me too. And I will tell you, I really, really appreciate that he reminds me of this often. Now, don't get me wrong. If you see my Instagram, you know that my husband is the absolute biggest doting person that you will ever meet. He loves to make food for the kids in the morning so they have a hot lunch. He leaves me food in the fridge. He goes above and beyond for his friends and family to make them feel special, to make them feel like he cares about them. And that is something that I truly love about him. But when push comes to shove, if he's away on a business trip or if he has a really busy day, he knows that he can look to me to take care of everything and it's all going to be okay. This is actually something that we're working on as a couple because I don't like to see him get stressed out trying to do all the things. So we're working on him being able to delegate more. As you can imagine, we are both type A people. So as much as you like to think that opposites attract, I will tell you from my previous marriage, I do much better with someone who thinks the same way as me. So little by little over the past couple years, everything has just started to click. I have been so harshly judgmental of myself that I've spent most of my life projecting that judgment onto others. I truly believe that this is how other people thought and felt about me, but really it was just my own insecurities playing tricks on me. Another limiting belief that I've had is that if you work hard, you will win. As an adult, especially someone living in Santa Barbara, I've realized that hard work and success don't always go together. It's all about working smarter and not harder. Lastly, I've realized that I have an intense fear of failure, hence why I don't like doing things that I'm not good at, which means for a long time, I never left my comfort zone. This goes for everything, work, sports, board games. I would avoid anything that I was not already good at. And all that does is limit your capabilities. So if you take anything away from this episode, I want you to listen to this list of things that I remind myself of on a daily basis. Number one, most people don't give two shits about you. 
And a lot of what you've conjured in your mind about what they think is really just your own thought. Number two, it's okay to chill. Sometimes in life, we need to hustle. And sometimes we need to take a step back in order to figure out where to best invest our energy. This is something that I am really trying to focus on this year. I can't promise you it's going perfectly and I have a lot of ways to improve, but I'm going to get there. I have successfully completed phase one, which was to cut back on my in-person clients. And that leaves me a lot more time to focus on the things that I enjoy. Number three, energy is not infinite and you will burn out if you try to make it that way. This is something I remind all of my clients of when they're stressing for not getting in that hour long workout, when they can't do all the things at the kid's school, you need to pick and choose what is most important for that day because you have one tank of gas. And if you burn all your gas by noon, where does that leave you? Which ironically, this is something I used to teach my older adults as an occupational therapist, and they simply called it energy conservation. Number four, when I need to make a decision or commit to something, I step back and think about if it's what I really want. Am I saying this to please someone else or because I truly want to do it? These days, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Now, don't get me wrong. There are always things that we have to do that we don't particularly want to. You can't just live in a hole and avoid the world around you. For example, I am currently getting ready to bake cupcakes for the bake sale at school. And I will tell you, I will be happy if they turn out because it is totally not my thing. Number five, not doing something does not make you a failure. It simply opens up space to find the next thing that you are passionate about. Sometimes when we overstretch and try to do all the things, you end up feeling like you aren't doing anything well. It's much better to take that step back and really evaluate what is going to bring you joy, what's going to bring you fulfillment, and that's what you can invest your energy into. And number six, some of the greatest ideas are born out of times of boredom. When you are working so hard to be better, it doesn't leave much time to grow. I have a very wise friend who actually just sold her company and everyone keeps asking her, well, what are you going to do next? And I love her response because she says, I don't know. Stop asking me and a good idea will come to me. I just need to be bored first. So that's it. That wraps up my podcast for today. If this resonated with you, I see you, I feel you, and I hope that you could take away some helpful advice. As you can see, I am still very much a work in progress. This is something that I'm sure of, but the more self-work I do, the more I can help my daughter. So hopefully she can overcome some of these feelings much sooner than I have. And make sure to check out my TikTok this week because I'm going to be sharing some of the best books that I've read over the last few years that have really helped me see these things in myself and put things into action in order to create change. I hope that you have a great rest of the week and I will see you here next week for our podcast that drops on Wednesday. Have a great day.